This episode of the Campwire Podcast is brought to you by Church Mutual. You deserve an insurance partner that appreciates what makes camps unique. With 125 years supporting organizations like yours, Church Mutual Insurance Company, SI, understands your mission and its importance to the families you serve. Discover our commitment to protecting you and your campers at churchmutual.com forward slash ACA. This episode of the Campwire Podcast is brought to you by RegPack, an online camp management software. Are you looking for a better solution to manage registration and payments this year? RegPack is not your average camp software. They work with after-school, enrichment, and day school professionals too. Create a customized registration flow with built-in payments, donations, and reporting. Learn more and get a free shirt with a product demo. Head to www.regpacks.com forward slash ACA or email sales at regpacks.com to schedule a call. And welcome to the Campwire Podcast. My name is Lauren McMillan. I am the Public Relations and Communications Manager here at ACA, and I'm so excited to have essentially two guests on our podcast today. We are joined by Alicia Dannenberg. She is the Content Director for ACA, but we're also here to talk with Anthony Kane. Anthony Kane Jr. is the Director for Diversity and Inclusion at Duquesne University. At Duquesne, Anthony is responsible for providing leadership to the Center for Excellence in Diversity and Student Inclusion while serving as a central resource for diverse students through promoting and advocating for student initiatives that will enhance the student's experience and promote a positive sense of belonging on campus. Anthony is also responsible for the supervision of several strategic programs and services related to diversity and inclusion. This includes community partnerships, student support and programming, alumni outreach, and connecting students to career and internship opportunities through intentional local and national partnerships. Anthony has an extensive background in student development, social emotional counseling and support, leadership development training, and is deeply involved in the recruitment and retention process for underrepresented students. Active with the campus community, Anthony currently serves on the university's Freshman Retention Committee, Title IX Advisory Committee, the President's Advisor Council for Diversity and Inclusion, and as a Deputy Title IX and Sexual Misconduct Prevention and Response Coordinator. Anthony earned both his Bachelor of Social Work and Master of Social Work degrees from California University of Pennsylvania. Anthony also earned an EDD in Educational Leadership from Duquesne University. Alicia and Anthony, welcome to the Campwire Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Lauren. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. I'm really excited to be here uh, with Anthony, who also, for all of those out here who are geographically thinking about where we are, Anthony and I are both in the same place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we're representing Pittsburgh today. Yes. <laughs> um, although you just read Anthony's bio, um, I would also like to congratulate Dr. Anthony Kane for being here today and for being with us and for being a contributor in Camping Magazine. And that is kind of the still and the background of how we got here today on the podcast. And Anthony, I know that you are going to be the highlight of our interview today, but also want to give you the opportunity to chime in and add anything before I start asking any questions or to add anything to your bio or what are we missing before we get going with questions that you want to spitball? Here's your opportunity. Um, thank you, Alicia, or Alicia, I should say. Um, and thank you again, Lauren, for reading that bio. 
it's always a little embarrassing when people read about you while they're talking to you. Um, one thing I would add is that kind of what led me here today is the idea of sense of belonging and how important that is to development um, and growth of individuals, whether that's employees, students, um, or people that are entering spaces we occupy. And so my EDD and Ed leadership focuses on that a lot. And I've kind of used that to make my life's work meaningful and fulfilling for me. So that's all I would like to add is that I'm not just talking about it, but I'm also living it and I'm proud to do so. Absolutely. And perhaps we could rewind. I'm not going to share your age, but let's rewind back to that first camp experience when maybe you didn't know how much belonging would play an importance in your role as a professional, but uh, we know that the article was inspired by your camp experience. And I know that our listeners out there would love to hear a little bit about your camp experience. And perhaps if you could talk a little bit about how that inspired your article for us today? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the inspiration for my article was derived from my experience at Camp Allegheny in Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Um, I was a proud member of the Salvation Army camp there for about two or three years, um, right in my preteen years. And at this time, I was kind of an introvert. I like to think I have a big personality and I'm a extrovert now, but at this time I was a shy, um, shy, chubby kid who was being sent away for a week um, to make new friends and, and memories, as my parents had said. But what I didn't know was how much, um, how much fun I would have, but also how many important relationships and memories would have been developed during that time. When I think back to the very first time we went, I was completely caught off guard. I thought it would be maybe a small camp, maybe like one of those little vans that people go on when they're like traveling for sporting events, not a 48 person passenger van um, with all my closest friends and strangers from across the city. Um, but I shortly realized into the trip to camp, which is, I wanna say maybe two hours from Pittsburgh, that the, the individuals working at Camp Allegheny were going to make sure not only that we all stayed in camp, but that we all had a good time. So in the in the article, you'll read a little bit about how loud and exciting and energetic the camp counselors were on that bus ride. And I think for a lot of us students, that was kind of the beginning of something great. And I think it helped us realize that once we got to camp, we were either going to be happy um, or they were gonna find a way to make us happy. Um, and, you know, being a 10, 11 year old kid, the last thing you want is people intentionally making all the attention be on you because you're not smiling or because you're homesick. So that's a little bit about my camp, my first camp story. Um, you'll have to check out the article to hear about all the other exciting things that happen or just keep listening here too. And, and I, I have got one little follow up question. I'm going off script here, but what was your favorite camp activity, if you remember? I would say my favorite camp activity was probably canoeing. Um, I think we did canoeing and kayaking, but again, being a little bit of a bigger kid, kayaking wasn't, it didn't seem like the safest option for me. I, I always have been kind of claustrophobic and not wanting to be in tight spaces. So being able to be in a canoe, feel like I had a little bit more space, but also feel like I got to use a little bit of my strength as a youth football player. Um, to make us move forward um, was probably probably one of my greatest memories. 
that's so interesting playing football and then going to camp and realizing your strengths came in rowing the canoe. Um, that's incredible. And, and giving the shout out to the staff for making sure that they made it fun and engaging for all of you. So shout out to any of the camp at Camp Allegheny out in Elwood City, PA. If you're listening, Anthony Kane is giving you a big shout out for inspiring his article. Um, and, and thinking back to it now, you know, I kind of want to reconnect and, and make that connection back to your article. In your own words, um, can you now define belonging? I know you can define belonging. It's your dissertation. Um, but for the listeners out there, can you define what belonging means to you and perhaps reconnect that now to your camp experience? Yeah, when I when I talk about belonging, whether it's, you know, in my writing or in speaking engagement, the one thing I always like to remind folks is that developing a sense of belonging or having a sense of belonging is this feeling of having a rightful place in whatever space you're occupying. And so whether that's the grocery store, the movie theater, at a school dance, at camp, um, whether it's you joining a new sports team, that feeling you feel as soon as you cross that threshold that makes you want to stay. That's a positive sense of belonging. And a lot of the times we don't realize that we're helping create these, this sense of belonging for people without even trying. And so as we get better at understanding, you know, what it takes for us to feel important or valued in the space, then we can start to replicate that for others. And so while that was a longer answer, the short answer is providing a rightful, rightful place for an individual in the space that they occupy. Thank you. And before I turn it over to my friend, Lauren, um, I do want to talk, Anthony, again, I'm going off script here, but you and I had a conversation offline where we talked a little bit about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And you shared with me a little bit about how you see diversity, equity, inclusion uh, and how those acronyms are a little bit backwards. Can you maybe share that for the listeners and how that all relates to belonging, just so we can get the full connection into your amazing brain and how it's related to belonging? And I know I'm really getting our, our time's worth today by asking you this question, but it was an aha moment for me when we were on that call. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of times people use the acronym DEI or and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion because it's a buzzword. It's something that when you hear it, you feel like you know what's coming next or you feel like you know what you're being called to do. But I think it's really important for individuals to know exactly what those words mean and what they look like in practice. And so I always try to share with folks that diversity, it's not something that we do. It's not something that we're actively contributing to by our work. It, it's in simple terms, it's who we are. Each of us as individuals are diverse. There's something that makes us different to, than the other people that we engage with, that we talk to, that we work with. This idea of inclusion, that's what we're working towards. We're, we are working to create spaces where people feel included. And so that's really where sense of belonging comes in. What can I do to make sure people know that this is a safe space for them? that people understand that in this space, we'll provide them opportunities, not just for growth, but also opportunities to figure out who they are and how they fit into that space. And then equity, equity, that's kind of the thing, the steps that we take to get there. The more we put things in place to close the gap and address the disparities, 
the more likely we are to find people feeling included, to find people with a higher sense of belonging. But more importantly, when you do equity work well, you get more diverse people in a space and more diverse people in a space automatically contributes to a positive sense of belonging. And so I think in our last conversation, I had said, if I had things my way, I would redirect the letters and I'd make it D-I-E. But I can understand why that would be controversial for a lot of people um, because of the word that that spells. But really, we are diverse doing inclusion work through equity. And I think that's something that people really need to grasp and understand in order for them to be effective in, in the next steps that they take. Thank you. It almost feels like just hearing you explain that, which thank you. I mean, it's, it, it is so helpful to get kind of a clear understanding of like what in practice DE and I looks like, but I love this idea of bringing belonging into the picture. And it, would it be safe to say that it seems like belonging is almost the thread that connects those three parts, the diversity, the equity and the inclusion are woven together with belonging. And at the same time, those three elements inherently create a sense of belonging. Exactly. It's, it's like kind of making a, a pizza, if you would, or, you know, baking your favorite cake or dessert. If you need all of the, the ingredients to get the product that you want. And so belonging in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's your finished product. It's the pizza. It's the you know, peanut butter cookie with the Hershey kiss on top. It's that thing you want to be able to tell people you can produce. And in order to get that, you have to be inclusive. You have to have inclusive language and visuals in the spaces that people with diverse identities are occupying. You have to be willing to acknowledge that while we've done great work, there's still more work to be done. And so while belonging is the outcome, um, I often remind folks that we will never be done doing this work. Um, the, the unfortunate thing about humanity and society is that there's always something new presenting itself. There's always a new challenge or obstacle. Um, and so understanding the things that affect or impact how we see the world, how we exist in the world, um, continuing to get more inclusive means continuing to create spaces where people feel as though they belong, but also challenging individuals who are threats to belonging. Um, we, I always say we all have someone or we know someone um, whose social media presents a, a version of themselves where you're like, I don't ever wanna be stuck on a crowded bus with this person. Mm -hmm. And so being willing to challenge why that person feels so strongly in some of the problematic ways that they may, but also being willing to acknowledge that, you know, we all have things that we need to work on. Um, I, I try to, treat my life, my professional career, like tires on a, on a brand new car. So you constantly want to polish to get that shine back. Um, but understand that, you know, you hit the curb a few times and you hit one of these crazy Pittsburgh potholes um, that you might do too much damage that not, you know, mm. the, the greatest amount of armor off won't get that out. So um, it's really important to do all of those things succinctly, but more importantly, to make sure you're not saying this part is done so I don't have to focus on this this other part. Right. I think that's such a good image too. And it's it's a reminder, you're exactly right. It's not just about like checking these boxes and saying like, oh well we've done this, this, and this. So we're good. It's an ongoing process. Um 
which in many ways is a beautiful thing that we we get chances to continue to evolve and to and to shift and to change and to admit when we're wrong and to think differently about things. Um, yeah, I think that's really awesome, even though it can be challenging at times. And I want to bring it back to bring it back to your article for a second. And Camp Allegheny, you talk about the moment when you arrived at camp with your parents and no one really looked like you. Can you help us try to understand and get a better grasp of what that's for you, what that moment looked like and what it felt like? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was just like this empty pit almost in my stomach because I'm from the inner city of Pittsburgh. And so the neighborhood, um, which I was born and raised, the Hill District, is one of the largest, if not the largest community in the city. And so I was used to, you know, leaving my house and seeing people who looked like me in school. Most of my classmates looked like me. Even my teachers looked like me. And so when I was getting on this bus with all these people who looked different than me and my family or all these families that didn't quite look like my family, I kind of felt like I was the outsider. Like I knew that it was, I was going to have to change who I was or what I thought or what I felt in order to fit in. And, you know, that continued when we got to camp. I don't recall seeing many black or brown um, camp counselors, but I do remember seeing some people working at, at the camp who were black and brown. And so it was kind of like, okay, you're like me, but bigger. Remember, I was 10 or 11 years old, so I didn't know a lot of the words I know now. Um, but one of the things that the camp did really well was that we were all kids, and we all were there to have fun and have a good time. And as the day went on, I think we got there, and we ate a meal, and then we played around a little bit more kids who looked like me began to come. But at that point, I wasn't worried so much about the fact that you know, you look like me, yay. It was like more friends. Um, and I think you know that's the great thing about being a kid, um, that bit of naiveness that we have where we don't really know right from wrong in the sense of like how people treat us or how we treat others. Um, it allows us to just live freely, play freely. And you know, unless someone is mean or says a word that upsets you, you're not really focusing on how different you are. So at a young age, um, I think I learned that, you know, as long as people are willing to work together um, and, and do right by one another, you know, you can feel like you belong, you can feel included. Thank you for sharing that vulnerability um, that you felt on that first day. And I think it's so important to go back to the DIE if we could make that a, another hit on our podcast today, an important moment, that inclusion piece, it, it showed that there were other people at camp that were like you and the camp counselors made that apparent by doing those activities together with other kids and brought those other kids together and helped showcase that there were things alike amongst the kids, right? And that's how you were able to find commonalities with the other kids perhaps, right? Even though you might have had um, different skin tones amongst each other. And, and that's what made you connect as kids. Am I on the right page there? Absolutely. We were connecting because we were having fun, but also the counselors, the counselors didn't focus on or didn't seem like they focused on how we were different as much as the fact that, you know, they had to serve us and help us get through the week we were there. Yeah. So, so you give counselors and camp professionals at the end of your article a lot of tips and tricks to help include a sense of belonging at camp. 
what would you say um, is your favorite or one that you would highlight or maybe one that is is hitting home for you today based on our conversation, um, some advice that you would give the camp professional listening out there today to help create that sense of belonging um, amongst those kids that are coming to camp on the first day, no matter what they're feeling when they get off the bus or when their parent drops them off? I would say for a moment, put yourself in their shoes. Think back to when you were their age and how vulnerable you were to the world around you and how easily, you know, your emotions or how easily you reacted to, you know, slight inconveniences or maybe if you have siblings, one of your siblings having access to something that you weren't given access to and think about what, what, who can I be for them that someone was or wasn't for me. And, and a lot of psychologists will say that a lot of us behave today as adults, um, as the people we would have been safe with or felt um, happy with as kids. And so I think when you consider sense of belonging, understand what makes you diverse. Um, Self-awareness is key to doing DIE or DEI. You have to understand where you're starting from. And when you can understand how people have helped mold you, help develop you into being someone who's not just inclusive, but also seeks to seeks belonging out, um, you can be a lot more personable, a lot more human about the interactions that you have. I, you know, as a 30 plus year old man, I feel like there are times I walk into a space and I, I feel like I belong, but I immediately scan the room to seek out maybe someone who's sitting alone by themselves or someone who's not, doesn't feel like they're a part or doesn't look like they're a part of a group, um, especially working on a college campus. I'm infamous for going and sitting with a student who's eating by themselves and pretending to be their friend. Now, most of the time they're like, dude, this is weird. Why are you sitting here? I just wanted some privacy. But on occasion, it is a student who maybe hasn't yet found their group of people or found their person. And so you know, being able to help coach them on where to go to find like-minded individuals or where to feel like they can exist um, with people who think and feel like them. So that I would say self-awareness, but put yourself in their shoes. Remember who you are. That's fantastic. And, and while you're going down that route of working in the university and being a leader of staff and of students, if we could maybe um, flip the switch and go to your leader perspective, you know, the question I asked you is more related to the feelings that you felt as a child. If you could perhaps um, influence the camp leaders who are listening out there, what are some things that camp leaders can do either throughout the year or when they're communicating with camp staff or um, when they're doing staff training what are some things that camp leaders can do to better prepare them staff, their staff as they're entering that camp season uh, to prepare uh, for creating this kind of culture? I don't even want to call it DEI or DIE. It's just like you said, creating a human-centric culture, really. Yeah, I would say be bold. I think so often, you know, folks are afraid to do that big thing because it might seem like they're doing too much or it might not be popular. Um, but I think be bold, speak to the people you know, um, you know, are listening or the people that you really want 
to hear your message. I, I in my roles have always had the unfortunate task of having to communicate across multiple stakeholder groups. And one thing I've come to appreciate about how I communicate is that I know how my language or how my tone may need to vary, um, but I'm always willing to call out or, or say that thing that people are like, I can't believe you said that, or I can't believe you put that in writing because sometimes we have to make that bold proclamation that you will belong here or you will feel included here. And that then lets everyone know what we're striving for. Um, if my boss sent out an email to our, our entire division and said, you know, we're going to make sure everyone feels like they have a place here at Duquesne, um, I would take that personal. What can I do to make sure I'm helping us meet that goal? Um, and it can, be a, it can be bold and sometimes unpopular, but um, unpopular opinions sometimes help change the world. And so don't be afraid to change the world for someone with your communication. I think that's a perfect segue into this next question, which is what, what do you think are some common misconceptions or misunderstandings that people might have about creating a culture of belonging? And like, maybe that looks like, or their approaches and how they try to help people belong or how people think that they like, quote unquote, should act or should be doing. Um, what are, what are some things that you see that, that maybe people I hate to say like, like missing the mark, but like, what are some misunderstandings that you've seen when it comes to building a culture and creating a place uh, that is very belonging centric for lack of a better word? Yeah, I think people always, people think they have to get it right. They think that they have to know everything and say all the right things and have all the right ideas. And sometimes you just have to take a step back and give, give it to those whom you're serving. Um, understand that we're constantly going through this thing called life learning about things and people that we, did, we never thought we'd have to know or learn. And so I always say, don't be afraid of being canceled if you're trying to do the right thing. Ask questions, make that bold statement, as I said before, talk to the individuals you're serving or working alongside. Because if you're making all the decisions on your own, then you're excluding people who are key stakeholders. And so when you include more people into the conversation, when you invite more people into the room, you're more likely to get a well-rounded um, set of experiences, set of expertise, but more importantly, well-rounded ideas that help create a well-rounded experience for people who reflect the, the individuals you work with, but also people who are considering the individuals that are that will be in the room. And so don't try to be perfect. Don't think that, you know, those of us who are DEI professionals woke up one day and had all the answers and we get everything right. We stumble too. It's how will you react and respond um, when you realize you missed the mark. What you said about don't be afraid of being canceled if you are trying to do the right thing. I was like, who needs to hear that? I mean, I think that's <laughs> that's so good for us to hear and be reminded of. And it almost it I mean, I can just feel like our listeners' shoulders relaxing. It's like almost a sense of permission to 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 be brave and to try and to and to fail and to try again 
Um, I think sometimes that holds people back is that fear of trying because they might mess up. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And if I could just remind everyone who's listening on this call, Anthony, I'm going to stand on a little soapbox for a second. When you talk about being on your own journey, this work that you're doing at camp in your personal life, wherever you are listening out there, this is hard stuff. And you're not going to wake up tomorrow, like Anthony said, and have an answer, whether or not you're a DEI professional, or you just decided that you want to start doing this work. And it is incredibly challenging. And I hope that listening to this podcast, reading Anthony's article, searching the ACA website for additional resources, or reaching out to someone on ACA staff to continue to help guide you in this direction to better serve your communities is going to be the step that you need to help make the change to better serve the communities that you're working with. Because I know that I believe in this work and I know that the people on this podcast believe in this work and it takes a deep sense of wanting to change to do this incredibly challenging work. Um, and and it's, it's not easy. Right, Anthony, we, we talked a lot about that too. Um, and maybe you can touch a little bit on that as I continue to want to pick your brain about how hard this is uh, and go off topic a little bit. It's hard. Yeah, well, and it's challenging because so often we have to confront our own bias, our own prejudice, our own feelings about things that we maybe have never been put in a position to have to address. And so, as you're being called to do this work, as you're being moved to do this work, you have to be you have to be willing to be imperfect. And I recently was having a conversation with some colleagues, and they said, you know, why is it that you're never afraid you're never afraid to fail? And I said, it's hard for me to to fear failure because I always feel as though I'm trying hard enough not to. And so the thing I fear is not failure itself, but failing to try hard enough. And so when I engage in these conversations, I always ask people to give themselves a little grace. Um, understand that you are on a journey and people will call you to the carpet. They will challenge the way that you think and feel and believe, whatever that may be. But you have to understand that you are committed to the work and only you know what your commitment to this is. And so you can't be so hard on yourself. You can't be so unwilling to give yourself grace when you're, you're giving other people that same, um, that same, you know, grace and, and willingness to, to be better and do better. So don't, don't lose sight of the end goal. Um, understand that the more comfortable you get and the more willing you are to be bold, uh, the more likely you are to have success with this. Thank you. And that reminder that everyone's journey is different. Mm -hmm. We can say that a million times over. We're all on different journeys of this work. So let's keep going here. Um, Anthony, in your article, you provided us with some pretty incredible quotes that I kept reading over and over. And I wanted to go through them and perhaps get a sense of either what you thought about them or what inspired you to include them, or um, even if there was a sense of um, direction that brought them into the article. So maybe we could spend some time talking those through. 
and if we can talk about your thoughts on how camps can better serve their communities through these quotes, perhaps. And the first one is from Harper. Uh, to increase a sense of belonging for diverse individuals, communities must ensure their spaces reflect those they serve and the areas in which they are recruiting. What do you think about that quote? I think it really speaks to how, you know, we call and bring the right people to help us in this journey or along the journey of creating a sense of belonging, having more inclusive spaces. A lot of the times, a lot of times, organizations, groups, um, employers want to become more diverse. They want to do better at creating inclusive environments. They want to take an equitable approach to work, but they don't have people that reflect who and what they serve in, in the conversation. And so if you're running a camp organization that's a religious camp and you want to make that camp more open and inclusive for individuals who may not subscribe to the religion that the camp is focused in, you have to invite people from those other denominations to help plan what that camping experience may look like. Because while you can read books and you can listen to podcasts and even listen to music and figure out what the lived experience of those people are or may be, until you have conversations with people willing to engage you in that dialogue, you'll never quite get it. And so Harper does a really good job of encouraging people to get uncomfortable in their hiring practices. Seek out people who you know you need to fill a void, but do so in a way that doesn't kind of put them on this pedestal to speak on behalf of their entire community, but more so to give them the opportunity to voice what they believe is missing from the space that you're asking them to occupy. Well said. The next one is from Tinto. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, Tinto. Vincent Tinto. Tinto. Yeah. Vincent Tinto. Thank you. Camp communities can further promote a sense of belonging by having an adequate number of members, staff, and campers with similar backgrounds. While I think after talking with you, I have an, a great sense of what I think that is. I would rather hear from you what inspired you to include that. So I, I have a weird affinity for Tinto um, simply because while I was writing my dissertation, I, I went out on a whim and decided I was going to email um, one, of the, one of the biggest names in student development, um, and he responded. And so we're, we're besties, so Tinto if you happen to be listening, hey, bestie. Um, but I really think that he speaks to the need for us to have people that reflect kind of where we're going. And so at this point, one could assume that every camp or organization or camp leader knows what they're missing um, or what experiences have not been included. And so Tinto's telling us to be brave about bringing those individuals into the space, but also giving them the opportunity to take charge. Sometimes we get in the habit of always being the one calling the shots or putting together the, the vision board of first you do this, then you do that, and then we'll get this outcome. And Tintos is kind of challenging us and asking us, let someone else take the charge. Let someone who has a new unique idea um, but also represents the community you're serving. Let them kind of lead the way for once. Um, 
he he kind of in a polite way says, shut up and sit down. But he's a nice person. So I don't think he said that exactly. <laughs> well, and, and that in turn creates community buy-in too, right? And support from others outside of the community. Exactly. Okay, last but certainly not least, uh, this is from Strayhorn. Furthermore, by increasing representation, communities can address their challenges, which in turn will make their spaces more welcoming for diverse individuals. Yeah, so with this one, I think back to my own camping experience, um, and I think about who was, you know, who specifically was being targeted to join this camp um, or be a part of this camp community and how were we sought out um, and how did they make sure, you know, as time went on. So I didn't put this in my article, but my first year at camp versus my final year at camp, the people waiting to get on the bus and to take that journey to Elwood City had changed drastically. Um, there were people I went to elementary school um, or that I was in middle school with that were now coming to camp. Um, because the access to it was a little bit greater. Um, but I think the intentionality around how people were being recruited to go um, had kind of expanded and grew. And so to, in, in writing this article, I had shared with Alicia that I'd communicated with some of my Facebook friends um, who had shared that they went to camp. And I asked everyone the same question um, about you know, why, why they chose camp, what their experience was, and what their greatest takeaway was. And for every one of them, um, across the board, it was quite consistent that camp helped change their life, but more importantly, it gave them access to um, experiences with individuals they don't believe they would have got had they not gone to camp. And so what Strayhorn's really encouraging us to do is make sure that we're continuing to seek out those who've never been a part of our community, have never been a part of our camp family, and figure out what will make them want to be a part of it and how can we get them in that space in a way that's welcoming, but more importantly, isn't filled with barriers. A lot of DEI work is, hey, we want you come into this space and then you get stuck between the doors because there's a barrier that they knew existed, but they were unwilling to address prior to your arrival. So um, Strayhorn's probably in my top five all-time favorite researchers. Um, but Tento's one just because he emailed me back. Amazing. Thank you. So in addition to Strayhorn and Tento and all these other incredible researchers and voices on this topic, what resources are available or even maybe just like your top favorite resources, because I'm sure there are a ton of great ones, um, are available for individuals, families, organizations, camps, whatever it may be, to start thinking critically and also creatively about developing a culture of belonging. I feel like there can be um, it, it can be overwhelming when people get excited about something, especially something as worthwhile and good as this work of creating belonging. And I think the, the plethora of resources can almost be paralyzing in that it's like, well, we don't even know where to start. So what would you recommend as, as resources for people and organizations to look into? I would say look into resources that are derived from the work that you do. And so a lot of times we go to Barnes and Noble or to the library or our other favorite bookstore and we just go to the culture section or to the, you know, development or psychology section and we pick books that have cool titles and nice covers because we think they'll help us. 
Um, but I think you really have to look for resources that are specific to the work you want to do. And so if you're a religious camp or a camp that's rooted in, you know, supporting families um, or specific marginalized groups, you want to make sure you're reading literature um, and seeking out resources that are very specific to that. Um, I think for camps all over, regardless of who you serve, I think a lot of student development theory and higher education-based resources um, will be great because not only are you helping your campers um, feel as though they can become better and do better by going to camp, you're also helping develop your young staff, your young camping staff. And so with that type of research, you can kind of get two for the price of one. Um, I think for team building or larger um, trainings and conversations you're leading, um, use utilize documentaries um, or you know featured films that are proven to provide kind of insight to what lived experience for certain populations of people are. Um, I consider myself uh, a human Pandora, and so music, movies, um, quotes, anything that can be seen, heard, um, or experienced really worked for me. Um, and so I would encourage people to figure out what really works for them what really inspires and motivates them. Um, but I think focus on what you're looking to achieve so much um, as you focus on, you know, the fancy buzzword things that exist out there. Thank you, Anthony. Um, okay, the final question that is not on the list, but I've said before, we are in such great presence today of a man who is so well-spoken and well-educated and well-researched on this topic that I couldn't not ask you if you could give the camp community out there your 15, 30-second spotlight of advice or, I don't know, what would you want to leave them on this podcast before the next time you get to speak with them? Because let me tell you, folks, this is not the last time you're going to hear from Anthony Kane. I promise you that. <laughs> but until the next time you do hear from him, what can you tell them? Um, I would say, remember that you're good enough and that there will and shall never be a moment where you aren't good enough to do this work. We all have experiences and challenges that have helped mold us into the people we are today. And while your challenges may not be as closely, you know, similar to the challenges of the individuals you serve, um, they're still relevant. And so use the experiences you've had, um, the obstacles you've overcome as motivation to do better and be better for others. Um, and if there's ever a time you don't feel like you're good enough, just remember what you do this for and remember what your purpose is and let the light that shines on you guide you to success. Amazing. Whew, I needed Thank to hear you. that. <laughs> Oh, Anthony, amazing. I mean, you've, you've been so generous and kind with your time and your insights, and it is just such a treat to have you join us today. Is there anything that we have not talked about or touched on that you wanted to mention? I don't think so. I think you all um, allowed me an opportunity to really talk about everything I was hoping to talk about. And I just uh, will give you all kudos for just being so open and honest and, and willing with your time. And I look forward to seeing what ACA um, accomplishes over the next year. Yes. And we'll be sure if people are, we'll be sure to link in the show notes. Um, if people are interested in reading your article, 
Um, but also if, if our folks listening, um, are interested in connecting with you, reaching out for questions, anything like that, where can they find you? So they can find me at my email, um, anthonykanejr at gmail.com. I'm also on social media, um, but I have to remember what my Twitter handle is because I don't <laughs> use it often. I found it. It is tone, that's T-O-N-E underscore 1024. Um, I think I have one of the best Twitters ever created because it's a mix of serious, funny, and deep. And so feel Amazing. free to follow me, DM me, um, or email me directly. I love talking if you haven't noticed that. Yeah, fantastic. We'll, we'll be sure to include links to those as well. And I think that's that's so awesome because again, this is not a one-time conversation. This is it's just <laughs> the start of many. So we appreciate you being so um, accessible to our listeners and excited and willing to talk about this topic. Absolutely. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Camp War podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. For more information on today's topic, click on the links in the show notes and be sure to follow us at ACA Camps on all social media.